unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Thanks again for hitting the play button and joining us for another show coming up on today's program. The student of the game, Kyle Nash, one of my colleagues from A7BN Sports. We're going to talk new faces and new places at the quarterback position in the National Football League. That discussion coming up as Kyle stands by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Well, it was another unprecedented week with mass postponements in sports that all started with the Milwaukee Bucks Orlando Magic Playoff Series on Wednesday to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, sports has been the ultimate escape from the real world, and while it still continues to be an escape, times certainly have changed in a hurry in 2020 as sports now has become a voice in a movement in a critical time and put in the role of advancing the cause. Now, what happens from here will be important as it has to go beyond postponements and gestures and advancing into action. Athletes, as you know, have incredible resources to do this, not just with money, but with their notoriety. And one thing to remember is while it can be uncomfortable, just look back at Muhammad Ali. He took a lot of heat for civil rights activism, his stance against the Vietnam War, and he dared to take action, even unpopular at the time. And ultimately, he became one of the most revered figures in humanitarians in the world. You know, the Jacob Blake protest, you know, has provided the opportunity for eloquent displays and, uh, and, and shows of unity. And uh, I certainly have no issue uh, with that whatsoever. But it is certainly created an unprecedented time in the sports world. And that protest also uh, brought up a, a rather embarrassing situation for beleaguered Mets journal manager Brody Van Wagenen um, after the uh, Mets and Marlins uh, opted out playing on Thursday night. And uh, Van Wagenen, I guess he relayed that MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred suggested only delaying the game for an hour due to potentially scheduling issues. And he proceeded to rip the commissioner caught off camera with this. Now, it turns out that suggestion was actually made by the Mets owner, Jeff Wilpon. And upon hearing that and Manfred's vehement denial, Van Wagenen apologized, which was then followed up by Jeff and Fred Wilpon issuing statements to back the commissioner and chastising their own GM, even misspelling his first name. (laughs) Now, this uh, coupled by the weird handling of the uh, Jonas Cespedes opting out and leaving the team before a game, and they issued their statement that the Mets didn't know where he was. Don't be surprised by the time you listen to this podcast that Brody Van Wagenen has been asked to clear his office and turn in his key card. Phil Mickelson dominates in his first Champions Tour, claiming victory at the Charles Schwab Series at Ozarks National. Lefty carding a three-round score of 191, that tie for the lowest 54-hole score ever in his debut outing on the Champions Tour, becoming the 20th player in the Senior Circuit's history to win in their debut. And he makes that debut after not making the cut for the FedEx playoffs on the PGA Tour. You know, the 50s, 50-year-old Mickelson, you know, he still has spurts of competitiveness with the youngins on the main tour. He's just about liable to win, though, anytime he wants, whenever he plays on the Champions Tour. And the greatest coach in Arizona basketball history has passed away. Lute Olson, the man who guided Arizona to an unlikely 1997 NCAA Tournament Championship. He died Thursday at the age of 85. According to the university, he had suffered a minor stroke in 2019. He'd been in declining health in recent months and years. He took Arizona to three Final Fours in 88 94, 97, and 2001, and seven Elite Eights. He guided the Wildcats to 23 consecutive NCAA tournaments. Uh, That was an NCAA coach and school record, only recently broken by Coach K. His 781 wins are 14th all-time for men's Division I basketball. Arizona, in the 97 championship, made history by becoming the first, and still to this day, the only team to defeat three number one seeds in an NCAA tournament. Rest in peace to one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. We're going to talk NFL quarterbacks, new faces in new places. I am joined now by the student of the game, Kyle Nash. 
Also, my colleague at A7BN Sports, where he is dubbed Coolbo Kyle on the Captain and Company Morning Show on Old School 101. He does a lot of work at a lot of places. Kyle, you have a heck of a lot of branding going on, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, that's how you got to get started somewhere, right? Yeah. I, first of all, props to you. Very few people do both the student of the game and the Kumo Kyle. But, Jeff, you came with that thunder, so I got to appreciate that. Of course, you did mention A7BN Sports. Also, my work with Captain Chris Hill, our mutual friend um, over at the Captain and Company Morning Show. And then, of course, I'm with the three-point conversion uh, where I will be doing a lot of my UCF coverage uh, more directly as far as writing. And, of course, uh, I have a show beyond the buzzer with my good friend, Danny Thompson, fellow three-point conversion man. And, hey, if you are bo- if you need a quick break from sports, come over to hilaritybydefault.com and check out the pop culture news there with me and Demosthenes Euclid. Um, we do the live stream on the Hilarity by Default YouTube channel at 9 o'clock on Wednesday night. So there you go. The long there list you- of stuff like you mentioned. <laughs> There you go. Hey, it's good to have a long list. That's for sure. So I wanted to have you on because, you know, I cannot remember a year like this where so many (laughs) starting quarterbacks are in new places for for this season. It's it's really kind of mind boggling. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last uh, the last season that might have had this much excitement around it, maybe not as much movement, but as much excitement around it, I would think would be when uh, Peyton Manning transitioned to. Uh, Denver, I think that was 2012, 2013, that area. Yeah, about that area. And, of course, uh, a big name like uh, Manning is the guy leading the charge. Tom Brady, of course, lands in Tampa. And, you know, we've settled in now a few months on this uh, prospect. You know, father time eventually wins. Mm -hmm. But uh, does Tom Brady have what it takes to continue to hold off father time a little bit longer now that his pal Gronkowski is with him in Tampa and a team that uh, Bruce Arians is definitely uh, building in the forward direction. Oh, hey, man, listen, that's, uh, th- th- he's gonna, it depends on what you mean by staving off father time, right? A playoff appearance doesn't necessarily mean father time killed him, right? Right. Uh, you know, um, or rather I should say if he missed the playoffs. In, in, in Brady's case, I think he's got a lot of good stuff working for him. Heck, there's a reason he took this gig. Um, the only thing I wondered about was the Bucks' ability to rebuild the offensive line. And while they didn't get the guy who I've now dubbed the pool boy based on his draft night video where he jumps out of the deep end of a pool, Tristan Wirtz, he did, he, they did address the tackle position. Um, uh, them missing him, it wasn't quite where I liked it. But, hey, listen, give the Bucks credit. They paid attention to the off- offensive line better than a lot of other clubs with new quarterbacks with less experience. Miami. <laughs> but um, but uh, I like what they're doing there. They addressed the running back position. They were one of the worst running teams in the league. They re- uh, addressed the DBs. Um, but that defensive front is great. As I understand, um, there's some talks that uh, a certain very popular linebacker there, Devin White, is, uh, could be in talks for a really big contract extension there. Um, so I, th- I see a lot of things working right. And listen, Gronk being there, you ne- don't ever say no to Gronk. I mean, he, he's fighting father time himself. Um, he moves so well for his size. Part of the reason why father time's an issue is because his body like breaks in certain places because he does things he's not supposed to do. See also J.J. Watt. But um, <laughs> I think he's an important mix just as much as a blocker, as a pass catcher. But listen, at the end of the day, it's that receiver core and Tom Brady combination that's going to be the bread and butter if they're successful. And I, I, I listen, Tom Brady's going to break 4,000 passing yards. He's going to beat father time there. I'm just not quite convinced that they make the playoffs coming out of that division. The extra playoff spot helps. Yes, and of course, uh, and one thing you can't learn for sure is I don't think Tom Brady will throw 30 picks like his predecessor. Yeah, that would be <laughs> correct, yes. In, in Tampa. Well, speaking of where Tom Brady came from, Cam mm-hmm. Newton lands in New England. Of course, uh, Brian Hoyer was also signed to uh, be, quote-unquote, in that quarterback battle, but we know what Brian Hoyer is. He's a, he's a backup quarterback. Cam Newton, we know what he can be based on past performance. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Cam Newton can uh, do things on a prove-it situation. Yeah, no, and listen, first of all, give credit to the Patriots for once again making a front office move that's, listen, I'm not saying anything that people don't already know here. They got him out the bargain bin, okay? Like, Kmart looks at that and says, whoa, that's really cheap, okay? No, (laughs) but uh, I think with Cam Newton, there's been a lot of negativity out there on his ability to mix in, right? And, and I, I think Hoyer's there to battle with Stidham for the backup position. Like, I, I know that Patriots camp is saying, oh, well, Cam and Stidham will compete. Eh, 
okay, that's cute. Um, but uh, the thing I like most about Cam Newton is you talk about, Jeff, you, you say we know what Cam can be. I would respond, I'm not so sure, right? Um, say what you will about the new arrival of, of uh, uh, Ron Rivera in, in Washington and what he might be able to do there. I don't think he knew exactly what to do with Cam. They just kind of said, here, do something. You know, that, that, that coaching staff – there's so much chaos with Cam as 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 a uh, quarterback. He was just kind of asked to make things happen, right? Um, this is going to be different. First of all, say what you will about the Patriots' protection. It ain't great, but it's better than what they had in Carolina. I could certainly make a strong argument. That alone is gold to Cam Newton, right? And think back in the day when – Tom Brady was first starting right out, and, and Bill Belichick was a relatively new coach, right? You went from having Drew Bloodsoe, an accomplished guy, to having a young man who struggled, by the way, I would argue, early in his career. Um, a lot of times, the run game, air quotes, was screen passes, short stuff. Tom Brady was, and I can make an argument for still is, a game manager first. This is a guy whose job is to find kinks, call audibles, where necessary, and make sure turnovers stay down. Now, the fact that these happen to have amazing numbers doesn't mean he doesn't manage games. I can make a very strong argument, for example, for Joe Montana as a game manager. That's the essence of a West Coast-style offense. Find where the defense is, and if that isn't management of a, game, of a team, I don't know what is. Now, with Cam, if he can be a, a, a more cerebral guy, which I don't know that we've seen yet, you know, if he can be a more cerebral guy – and now Bill Belichick has the extra merit of a guy who could run the football like Tom Brady never dreamed he could do even long before Father Time had him on the radar. Listen, folks, I, I think the I'm not picking the Pats to win the East, but I'm not prepared to rule it out either. Mm. And, of course, you know, I kind of did overlook Jared Sidham there, of course. Uh, I've never been overly uh, impressed with him anyway. Uh, but, of course, uh, it, the other thing that will be interesting to see is, you know, Cam has had the tendency to be a bit of a head case. And, you know, lots of guys go to New England are head cases, and Belichick has managed to, to work with them. I mean, you mentioned Gronk in and of itself, man. That guy's a WWE star, and he kept that under control somehow. Listen, let's be clear, man. And, and, and that was long before he was thinking about doing any retirement work. That's just the personality he has. I'm not condemning it. I'm just calling <laughs> it a fact. I liked watching it. Who am I to talk trash? Right. But, um, yeah, I think Cam, in Cam's case, he's always been a personality, and he's always been um, judged f- for it. But by the same token, note for a long time how the league embraced it. Heck, not anybody – gets gets commercials for Dan and yogurt. I'm just saying. And, and that smile says everything you need to know. And I think the problem with Cam was he was asked to do so much so regularly. Listen, I know that there's a debate out there on how many tools Cam Newton did or didn't have. But what I know he's always not had is protection that's really good. There's a reason why this guy has to run for his life and then by extension put himself in a position to take bigger hits as a runner than he would a passer, Right. Um, I think in this particular space, uh, Belichick or, or um, any sort of offensive staff in general would be put Cam in a position to where he's better protected and, and less likely to take the big hit. And Cam knows how to slide when it's time. Yeah, it does most definitely. And speaking of where Cam used to be in Carolina, no their point. new quarterback is Terry uh, is Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, you can look at what he did last season when Drew Brees went down – he went undefeated as a starter, so he saved their season. Um, you know, and, and you've got to give him amazing props for overcoming a horrific knee injury when he was with the Vikings. He right. fought his way all the way back to be a starter again in the National Football League with Carolina. And the thing I hear most about him is the great leadership and head he has on his shoulders. And I think that's going to be a, a good thing for Carolina. I mean, it's certainly his greatest asset, I would think, is his intelligence. Definitely another game manager type, right? And, and here's the thing. When, the, when Drew Brees went down, that offense in New Orleans was ready for Teddy, right? You had pieces. They don't have as many pieces in Carolina. Not to mention the Saints has regu- have regularly over the past however long put in somebody from the offensive line in protection, to do that job of protecting the quarterback. And in Teddy's case, it's even more important, I would say, 
because I'm not going to sit here and say that he's like glass, but I mean, at this point, injury prone is something that you can hand him. Yes, I get it that he made it through the Saints season last year, of which he only played a fraction, right? With Teddy Bridgewater, the problem is this. He, they're worried about him and the long ball. And all of all the criticism there's about Teddy Bridgewater, I'm worried about the least. Why is that? Obviously, they're converting themselves to a run team at this point because they have Christian McCaffrey. Teddy Bridgewater not being the main event is the reason why he's succeeded anywhere it's been, be it Minnesota, be it New Orleans. And if he has success in Carolina, that'll also be why. You got Adrian Peterson. You have that entire Kamara and company, right? People want to, um, you know, talk about how Michael Thomas isn't as good as Julio Jones. Maybe he's not, but he's pretty good. (laughs) And and then lastly, you know, the whole situation in Carolina is such where Christian McCaffrey is definitely the top man there. I don't think anyone's debating that. Mm -hmm. No question. And, of course, you know, new coach Matt Rule there will be a a guy that will instill a lot of toughness with that football team. That will definitely be be interesting to watch. So Mm -hmm. where, of course, uh, Teddy came from is where Jameis Winston lands as the backup quarterback to Drew Brees (laughs) uh, with uh, all 30 interceptions in tow. Um, So what do you think if – you know, he gets – you know, we we think Drew's going to play two more years, go to work for NBC – do you, you think that Jameis Winston is ever going to get his head on straight and really learn the quarterback position? And would he be able to do that from Drew Brees? Well, if there's an environment where learning is possible, I mean, it's going to be, you know, with Sean Payton, with Drew Brees, right? If he can't learn there, where is he going to learn, right? I'm, I, well, I mean, and I can make the argument, you can learn under Bruce Arings. Or, or, or I can even say in his favor, to be fair, he started to. Okay. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, it's it's such a fashion that I feel like – I'll put it this way. To answer your question more directly, Jeff, Jameis inevitably is going to, to, to take the helm at some point because Drew Brees is the age that he is, right? It mm-hmm. may not be this season. It'll probably be next season. Uh, what I want to remind the Saints fans, though, is a large part of the reason that Drew Brees and company made it to the postseason as far as they did is because – Drew Brees' arm got that respite. Oh, sure, he was hurt. But missing those games, I think that, that, that lesser strain on his throwing arm was very significant. The previous season, his numbers went down. They were handing the ball a lot more to Kamara at the end. He didn't have as much zip in certain things in the playoff game. Um, whether you like the ending of it or the refereeing or not, Drew Brees was not what he was in postseason that he was in the beginning of the season. I'm, I'm really curious to how this group's going to combat that, especially considering unique stuff with fitness and, and preseason being interrupted, what with COVID-19 and all, right? Yeah, definitely have something to keep an eye on there. And of course, Indianapolis will have a new quarterback in Phillip Rivers after a long, successful career in San Diego. Phillip Rivers is a guy I kind of equate along the Tony Romo line, guy puts up great numbers, gets playoff appearances, but wasn't able to get as far as as hoped. Um, what are your thoughts on on Rivers? Do you think he has enough left in the tank to to do some damage in Indianapolis? Uh, listen, that's 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 oh, that's a tough one for me to answer out right. What I'll give you is this much: he's got this working for him, Jeff. Probably the most improved offensive line in the league is out there in Indianapolis, starting with the drafting of Quentin Nelson a few years back. Listen, that group is awesome. If, if, if that's the, that's listen, sad as Andrew Luck's retirement is, and I, and I completely appreciate why he did it and anybody who hated it on him for doing it, you need to get a hold of your life. But what I'll say is this, the saddest thing from a football standpoint about Andrew Luck not being behind this line is we would have finally seen him protected for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Philip Rivers needs that more than luck. And this offensive line is going to be do, asked to do a lot for a guy who's probably even less athletic than super-duper old Tom Brady, am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned Tony Romo. That's not a bad comparison, but Romo could move. I'm going to liken him more to Brett Favre, gunslinger, um, a personality, but he'll get you into trouble if he's a little too uh, risky. And then that, that, that's what Philip Rivers is in a nutshell to me. Yeah. And then uh, interesting signing that uh, Andy Dalton, the former Bengals starter, signs in Dallas. And originally, you know, people would say, oh, they're sending Dak a message you know, because he's, you know, working on the contract. But one, I guarantee you, Dak will sign a contract uh, before next season. And I would also say this is a hell of an insurance policy for the Cowboys because they've had Cooper Rush as the backup the last two, three years. <laughs> if Dak would have gone down, Dallas would have 
quickly folded like origami. Yeah, I mean that's 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 that's, that's absolutely true, right? And 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 I'll say this about the whole Dak situation. I get why he's holding out, but I still think he's asking for a bit too much. But, hey, listen, credit to him. He's taking one out of Joe Flacco's book and betting on himself. And should they do well? Like Kirk Cousins, too, yeah. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins in particular. Except I would argue that um, Dak is a much better investment. Mm -hmm. Listen, Kirk Cousins, when he wins a game, is carried – uh, carried like a sack coming out of a grocery store, okay? And no, that's not a Jameis Winston joke. I mean, that's the best analogy I could think of. But in the case of Dak, listen, everybody has all of a sudden forgotten that the only reason why the Cowboys didn't get out of the first round when he first took the helmet a playoff game was Aaron Charles Rogers <laughs> drawing a play in the dirt and making a miraculous play that rivaled – it isn't as good as – but rivaled the catch – from Dwight Clark and Joe Montana, man. Hmm. You're going to put that on Dak? It's pretty painful, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. He's done his job more than once. And then the defense will somehow let him down at the end of the day. I Listen, I'm not here to tell you that Dak is an MVP. Heck, I didn't take the trouble to learn his middle name like I did Aaron Rodgers, okay? <laughs> but I think there's some certain things um, that have been forgotten based on how uh, past seasons have gone lately. And listen – yeah, I know we were talking about the, the Colts to start with, but in the case – or we did transition talking about Andy Dalton as well. Listen, I like the Red Rifle too. Um, I'll put it this way. If they can get a good quarterback to back somebody up and use it also as a, as a negotiating tactic, that's fine. But I really think that Dalton's there, not for this season, but the following. Because if if the uh, Cowboys going 9-7 again – and, and, and Prescott's coming back with asking for that same number, don't be shocked if the Cowboys end up putting some ammunition in the red rifle and having him take some shots. Hmm. Well, I would say I would be shocked if Dallas went 9-7. and seven. I think they are, are loaded, and I think they will get that, that, that boost from having a different direction under Mike McCarthy, in my I opinion. Agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be a, a big, big point in that right direction. All right, so let's talk uh, rookies in Cincinnati. The number one draft pick, Joe Burrow, who had probably the greatest season in college football history last year at LSU. Mm -hmm. He is now anointed the one to take over in Cincinnati. What do you think? It's, uh, you know, he's, he's got a lot of great tools, but, you know, if you look at it, he's only had one great college season. Right, exactly. And, 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 you know, a lot of people talk about he's had only one great college season. I would argue he's only really been in position to have one great college season, right? Which is true. Yeah. You know, he was in, at Ohio State initially and transferred to LSU where he was stuck in, in battle with, uh, with other quarterbacks and things like that. Listen, at the end of the day, he, got, he finally found that right position. And let's not act like LSU was bad when he was the starter there and, and took on UCF in the Fiesta Bowl. Listen, I got to meet this kid there. The reason why he got better is because he's got the right mentality. He respects every opponent, not just UCF, by the way. You the know. Joey Connors hit might have helped too, right? <laughs> well, and, and listen, that's, that's, what the, that's, what, that's what the UCF people and company uh, would have you believe. And listen, as much as I, I, I write about and follow UCF, I don't see how getting blasted by a do that big helps you. But okay. <laughs> Uh, listen, I've seen Connors do some do some um, do some drills and in pro days, and what he does to that bag when he pops <laughs> it with his bear claw. Yeah, I can see being helped by that. No, not not at all, man. <laughs> but um, it, it, if anything, it does demonstrate his ability to bounce back, right? He then proceeded for the rest of the game to find the holes after throwing a pick six, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think as he was given the opportunity to have better tools to do things a little bit more. He, he got settled in. Here's the biggest problem I have with Joe Burrow. He's got the right mentality. He's the right human being to get in there and do culture changes. I'm feeling that part. Without a preseason, there are going to be problems here. A real opportunity to get to the speed, to the game, speed of the game is not here for Joe Burrow, and there's not really a lot of help that uh, Cincinnati can offer him. I don't think it's his fault. You could argue it's the franchise's fault, but hey, I mean, how many decades we've we been talking about that, right? right. So uh, I'm, I'm really thinking that 2020 is a wash for him in particular. I think by 2022, you're going to see the Bengals 
as a playoff contender in that division. Not to say that's saying a lot, because I'm relying a lot of, on a lot of teams falling off more than I am than the Bengals getting better. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, so you could probably compare Burroughs for season if, if, if it shakes out the way you think it will. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how what Peyton Manning, his first season in Indianapolis, you know, he had to, he had to go through the growing pains of starting as a rookie and, uh, and, and kind of build his career from there. They didn't win many games, but, you know, mm-hmm. he grew into the position. That, but worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no question. And, of course, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins have Tua Tagovailoa, and, you know, it was called tanking for Tua. The mm-hmm. Dolphins tried to screw that up by winning some games. They end up with him anyway, which is a, a beautiful thing. And, yeah. of course, uh, you know, Ryan F- Fitzpatrick returns from a, a, a decent season leading the team a year ago, and uh, this gives them a chance to bring Tua along at a, at a different pace. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Tua, and uh, what have you heard about his health? Do you think he's uh, going to be able to uh, have any impact this rookie season? Yeah, listen, what it, I, I'm, well, I'll lead with this. Um, and granted, this is only what off what I've heard so far, right? And 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 you never have you ever seen somebody come out and go, yeah, man, this guy's rehab's been terrible. We're probably going to set him back another three weeks, guys. I don't. No, of course he's always like, oh my gosh, he can hurl over mountains in a single bound. Last week I heard he stopped a speeding bullet. What kryptonite, you know? But um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like with Tua, um, there is plenty of reason to be excited. But again. Everyone's got that plan until they're punched in the face or hit in the knee, right? And and I feel like Tua, I think, like, I'll put it plainly, say what you will about the Miami Dolphins. Um, And however many jokes I said that they should not worry about this draft and instead get clever for Trevor rather than tanking for Tua. (laughs) But um, I think that while they've not done as much as I would have liked to see them do um, to, to improve their offensive life, they've done that. Um, they've they've uh, done a lot of things to prepare for the arrival of this kid and, and actually beefed up their defense some too. In a division where Tom Brady, the power vacuum, is, is now a thing. And when we're talking about Buffalo winning a division, mm-hmm. what on earth um, should that hold? Uh, okay, maybe we're looking to be right. I'm not – listen, I'm not here to tell you that the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs. I'm not here to tell you that they're going to win the division. I am here to tell you that Tua Tungavailoa will be a, have a better rookie season statistically than Joe Burrow. Hmm, interesting observation there. And, of course, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, I, I always liken him as the big tease. You know, he'll go stretches where he'll play like a top-five quarterback – and then he'll go uh, into the tank, and uh, he can't find guys on his own team. But I think the one thing that Tua can learn from him is preparation, and uh, and you know, not to say that Tua doesn't have this already, but, you know, but, Brian, Fitt, but, but Brian Fitzpatrick is one of those guys who's just just gritty and has that want to. I think that's a great thing for him to be able to to learn from. Yeah, I, listen, that's a great point. Fitzpatrick has how much experience in the league? And, oh, by the way, he went to Harvard. So you got a guy who's a veteran and at least has the makings of somebody who's smart, right? We know he didn't he didn't skate through North Carolina University taking Swahili, okay? That's not a thing that happened. Um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with the backfield there. Listen, I'm going to say this till I'm uh, blue in the face. Um, they, they, were prob- they would probably be an even – better shape if they hadn't uh, parted with uh, Kenya Martin uh, uh, at the running back position. That, that, that was a, a, a not a good move for me. Um, mm-hmm. And Arizona's proved me right. You know, say what you will about Laramie Tunsil. They got a lot for him. I don't think they should have shipped him either, but okay, I get it. But Kenyon Martin, he was too good a pass blocker, too good a runner, too good a pass catcher. And, and that's, I think, the only way that they could have prepared for Tua better. Okay. And now I'm going to shift to what I call the old but kind of new category. And uh, in this category, I'm putting Big Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he had the injury a year ago. Uh, They had to labor through uh, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, uh, which which was basically like playing with no quarterback. Um, And now Big Ben is said to have shed some weight and, uh, but he is coming off a significant arm injury. Uh, What are your thoughts on Big Ben for, 
You know, listen, Big Ben is a guy who, I mean, say what you will about his off-the-field antics. I have always enjoyed him as a quarterback. I actually made it a point a couple of years ago to go to Pittsburgh in person to, to see a Ravens-Steelers game specifically because it's the current best rival in the sport, right? My opinion. And I say that as a Niners fan with the Seahawks, by the way. Um, that being said, I think – as much as, as as Big Ben impresses me, I, I really would be shocked if he made it through this season. Um, I'm not saying he's going to go out like Brett Favre where he has to get scraped off the field, ironically, by his Steelers. <laughs> uh, um, but, um, of course, I'm referring to Favre in Minnesota at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really think I, – I expect a decline from the Steelers this season um, simply because I don't think Roethlisberger makes it the entire season. And they're mm-hmm. good – but they're not that great team. And listen, the Ravens are off the bleeding charts, right? That alone makes that tough. Um, The Browns should be a threat, but will they be? Whole other question. And the Bengals are are, are threatening to improve, even though I don't think they will because they don't have a preseason. Um, Even I'll put it this way. I could be so wrong though, that Ben Roethlisberger ends up being the most improved player, right? It's a very tough thing to gauge, but I think Father Time's going to win that battle big. Look at just look at him, and then look at Tom Brady, and you tell me who's the one hitting the gym harder, okay? So, um, yeah, listen and, and say what you will. Mason Rudolph's a good story. He got to reunite with a college receiver that he played with, um, but that's yeah. I, I I don't see the Steelers doing. I don't see the Steelers making the playoffs. Is what I'll say. Mm. All right, then how about this story? Alex Smith in Washington, you know, Ooh. horrific injury. Yeah. I'll never watch that 30 for 30 because I do not want to see the leg because mm. I've heard it's, it's, it's nasty. But he is, you know, you know, he had basically what amounted like a tower around his leg and <laughs> after that surgery. And to think that he's been cleared for football activities, obviously Haskins is the man in, in, in Washington for the Washington football team. But the Alex Smith story, though, you just got to just tip your hat to, to him. You know, he was, a, he was a very good quarterback. You know, I wouldn't put him in the great category. I wouldn't put him in the average category. I think he's somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, and, you, and then you look at him and think all that he has overcome, this thing actually threatened his life. Yep. And for him to actually be considered for football activities is, is, is amazing. I mean, listen, you're a guy that talks and follows a lot of UCF, so I'll use an analogy that that group will understand, right? It's Mackenzie Milton, but he's like 10 years older, right? No, of course everything Alex Smith, to even be considered for coming back is huge. Now, do I think he's insane to try to do that this season? Absolutely. Again, another situation, yeah, right? Another situation where a lack of a preseason has really uh, put a kibosh on something that could have been great. Um, obviously not a rookie in this case. And, and listen, if Haskins is going to be a thing, I really feel like um, he needs another season to do that, right? And give the Skins credit. They've, with, with bringing in Ch- uh, Chase Young, you know, I, I like what they're doing there. They're beefing up the defense. I don't think they're weaponless on offense, but they're certainly not intimidating. Obviously, Adrian Peterson is, is – <laughs> listen, if you call that a retread, that's the best damn retread I've seen, okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, – yeah, Alex Smith is a great story. And listen, I say that as a guy who was critical of him for at least the first six seasons of his career um, following the 49ers, man. Um, when when Cap took the field um, back when he was, you know, really attacking and took him to the Super Bowl, um, I was in favor of Alex Smith not being returned um, mm-hmm. at that point. And, and you know, it, it did well enough. Well, I don't want to get into Niner history there, but um, – if Alex Smith can have a successful run at quarterback, um, even if it is in 2021, um, expect me to come out with a lot of articles, I'm hoping, juxtaposing him and Mackenzie Milton in 2021 coming back. Oh, boy, that would be, that'd be incredible. We'll get to Mackenzie in just a, just a tad, but uh, mm. uh, Tyron Taylor gets a chance in San Diego now. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's done the thing in Buffalo. He's done the thing in Cleveland. You know, Buffalo, we had some modest success, but uh, I wouldn't say it's anything to write home about. Uh, this could be a tough year for the Chargers. Listen, when it comes to Tyrod, the letter I would write home is, find a way to get him healthy once. Oh, my God. <laughs> can, 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 listen, and I appreciate, I appreciate what you're saying about Tyrod. I'm not here to tell you you're getting it wrong or any of that. 
Um, listen, I work out with our friend, Captain Chris Hill. I'm uniquely trained to tell you you're wrong when you are, but that's good. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, I'm, I'm not as negative as are you, as you are on him for one simple reason. Can you name me a favorable position he's been in really? Like the one we know about is Buffalo. Okay. So here's that position at the time, you know, the, the, the jets were sort of a threat. The Dolphins were at least a really good defense. They may not be a threat to win a playoff game, but they could threaten your ability to compete in the division. Mm-hmm. This Tom Brady guy, maybe you heard of him. Okay. That division's rough. And you're in a run first offense where no one could stay on the field because the protection on offense was not what it needed to be. And then event- what, what eventually claimed him, Jeff, wasn't him playing bad. It was injuries. He can't help the club in the tub. And Buffalo had to go another direction. So, you know, I'll put it this way. Here's my pop quiz to you. Is he in a worse situation in the AFC East or in today's AFC West? Let's pretend that Drew Locke is going to flop like I think he's going to. Okay, your reward, Patrick Mahomes twice (laughs) a year. A shootout that, that he can't be asked to win. Right. That's that's insane. And, and not like the Raiders. I think the Raiders now are very similar to the Finns then. Granted, not as good a defense, but a team that's not great, but enough of a threat that if you have a bad day, they will beat you. You know, that, that is not a simple picking. And, oh, by the way, if Drew Locke happens to follow the hype, which, I, I mean, if he does great, I'm more than happy to claim to be wrong on that. That's a tough, that's a tough draw. I could definitely make an argument that the West is tougher than the North now. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, and I wouldn't say I'm totally negative on Tyra Taylor. Again, you know, Cleveland was a dumpster fire when he was there, so he really had no chance. Uh, I mean, that's why I didn't <laughs> even bring it up. I knew you didn't argue that. <laughs> yeah, no, no question about that. And then the name that's still out there, Blake Bortles. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he spent the last season with the Rams as the backup to Jared Goff. And so you figure maybe getting some tutelage from a guy like Sean McVay would, would be to his benefit. Of course, Sean McVay says, you know, I uh, can't understand why anybody didn't sign him. And it's like, well, he hasn't signed him. <laughs> so why is he wondering? <laughs> you know? So what do you think? Is it, you know, I mean, it would probably be another backup situation. Sure. As far as Blake Bortles, do you think he can resurrect and advance his career in any way, shape, or form? Well, I'll put it this way, man. Anybody who took who did his part to put the Jacksonville Jaguars in a position to beat Tom Brady where the defense got clinched buttholes, you know, that's, 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 that's what Blake Bortles was. Right. And, and listen, I'm not saying he's above criticism. I know some Jags fans that, you know, if they had their way would probably egg his house on Halloween. I get it. But I think what's getting left out a lot with Bortles in fairness is that one year, the one year he has solid protection is the year that that all goes so well. Coincidence? I think not, right? Keep no. in mind, Bortles, <laughs> yeah, Bortles never had the opportunity to have a running back that supported him um, the same way, um, like, let's say, a Fournette might now, right? He had, a, he had a, a, a better receiver core, I would argue, than they have now. And the defense was better then, obviously, than it is now. Um, I, that, that team falling apart the way it did obviously is part of the reason why this this um, a franchise in Jacksonville is in free fall right now. But um, you know, they're they're <laughs> let's put it this way: after this year, when they'll then get rid of the entire uh, front office that caused the problem and not just try to pin it all on Coughlin, um, I'll be interested to see what the Jags do then. And Blake Bortles, I, I, I listen. I I said early on that I scoff at golf and. If he continues to perform like that, Bortles is going to get a shot, I think, unless they draft somebody else ahead of it. Yeah. And, you know, and I always look back at the the Blake Bortles uh, career with Jacksonville, you know, I, and, and granted, I think Bortles really did need a, his senior year of college before coming out, but you can't, but you can't blame him for taking the money. He, sure. he was he strike wildly irons hot. Uh, and, and, you know, and the, they, they did the thing you were going to bring him along solely, but then they rushed him into the fire in his rookie season, and he was doomed because there was no offensive line, as you said. They just right. you you Jacksonville has continually killed quarterbacks <laughs> with their lack of protection. Well, they can't even stay healthy now. Is the thing, Jeff? For the past however many seasons, have you seen that IR filled up with beef, man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, 
Speaking of uh, UCF, uh, uh, with the Blake Portals connection, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Knights uh, going into this season. I tell you what, Ben, this is a team that uh, I just I foam at the mouth with how much talent they have on both sides of the football. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at the if you looked at this roster and you didn't have UCF over top of that roster, you had any other Power Five team, you would believe it that they are a power five team. Sure. They would definitely be second place in the ACC, no question. And that's including uh, Notre Dame on that current docket. At Mm -hmm. me all you want, guys. I said it. (laughs) Hey, listen, if Notre Dame's so good, why are they hyping up the fact that they scheduled USF? Yeah. Anyways, no, I I, (laughs) – man, uh, you're right about that. I mean, and and, and listen, I've – the ACC has become my ragdoll for one reason and one reason alone. It's not because I'm following UCF. is I'm getting sick of mediocre football being the reason we don't see UCF or other schools get involved. I wouldn't mind seeing Boise State on a good year do their thing. Heck, I'm looking forward to that UCF-Boise State next year. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be awesome. Uh, There's so many teams that are deserving. I love that Cincinnati is in that top 25 as well. You know, there's a lot of good going on there. Uh, Unfortunately, De'Ara King going to Miami really does nothing but give me the opportunity to reinforce possibly my point with the American being superior to the ACC at this point. Because if he performed well in Houston, or rather if he was still in Houston, I can make a case that maybe, maybe he wouldn't be uh, on the preseason polls, but I think Houston would win that division. Tulane would give them their battle, of course. And, and put things in perspective to where uh, Houston will represent the West. Now it really doesn't matter who represents the West, in my opinion, with what we got. Now it's going to be it's it's going to be kind of like that 2017 year. It's going to be uh, USF or UCF, and whoever wins, I think it's going to be Cincinnati and UCF. Whoever comes out of that side of the conference is, I mean, obviously nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, and obviously with the with no divisions this year, that just totally makes it a free for all. Correct. You know, with you know Memphis and uh, uh, you know Memphis is certainly you know coming off a championship season. Now yeah. They got a change in the head coach, coaching position, but they do have some continuity because Ryan Silverfield already being on the staff, so they could be in that mix. It is going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out this year. But I think clearly UCF is head and shoulders above everybody else coming into this season, and I'm just so hoping that we have a season because I just want to see how we attack. Because it's it's just you know even though we we've lost Gabriel Davis you know we still have great talent at the receiver position. You got big bodies too. I mean Trey Nixon isn't necessarily a huge guy, but they still there's still a lot of big bodies. Martlin is huge end to end. Um, Jacob, I forget his name. Jacob. Jacob Harris. Yep. I do have it. See, be confident, Kyle. You know he's yes. Jacob Harris. Is is listen? He's a huge target, and I remember at least two catches. I literally asked him, "Do you do Pilates? How do you bend your body like that?" <laughs> That's what he said. He laughed. Yeah. So, um, and and yeah. You, and and you got Otis Anderson splitting time between the sure. receiver and the backfield, and you look at the backfield room. You know, they talk about how 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 deep the quarterback room is. The running back room is just as deep. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I've been Tavius Thompson's going to be a guy who's going to be uh, great to give Anderson some rest. Oh, I love him. He's yeah. a he's a beast. To let to let Anderson split out some too. You'll still see plenty of split back formations. Listen, I I love 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 AK Adrian Killens and doing what he's doing. By the way, declaring himself the fastest man on the roster in Philadelphia. I, I knew the Beautiful. guy had cojones, but damn. But uh, they're not going to miss him. As awkward as that is to say. Uh, you're right about that backfield, and, and and you know while we're talking about it, I'll just go ahead and say it: the offensive, if the offensive line can quickly mature like the defensive line did last year. Listen, man, uh, coach put me in my place in a press conference. Like, well, hey, uh, you lost a lot of guys. You know how how are you hoping to get the uh, defense to step up? Well, I know that that's the narrative. Um, but we've got a lot of good talent coming out. I'm like, okay, coach. And then sure enough, leading the season, uh, leading the the dang nation in tackles for loss. If that isn't evidence, I don't know what is. If they can do that with the offensive line, there is hope. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned Mackenzie Milton earlier, and you know we have seen the the tape surface of him working out uh, after his uh, checkup of the Mayo Clinic, and uh, I am just amazed he has come as far as he has. Yes. And and you know he is he is virtually the last guy I would bet against saying he can't do something. 
because uh, he just has he just has enormous heart. Right, which is and and in talking to him, he's he's a great intellect. Intellect. He oh, he wants to play football. He's there because he loves it. And I mean, I think in his case, if he happens to play pro, that'd be a nice bonus. He wants to do. He wants to get played to be football because that sounds like it'd be fun to do. Not so much because he's looking for a payday, man. I, just from talking to him, that's that's the vibe I get. And here's the thing: I'm never going to word it like you said that he can't. This is why I word it the way he did. I don't think he should. In 2020, because I saw that same tape, Jeff, it does not enthuse me about what happens when he starts getting hit. And and actually in not this week's, but the previous week's press conference, I actually wrote about it a bit in, in, our, in my latest article in a three point conversion that came out last week um, where Mackenzie Milton is not even being touched in practice yet. And we're at August 28th. Mm-hmm. No, no, he, he should not. He should not certainly not be. Listen. Let Dylan Gabriel do his thing, man. And if he's hot, don't pull him for Mackenzie Milton. That would be that would be foolhardy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Just like it would have been foolhardy to start, <clears throat> excuse me, to start uh, Brandon Wimbush in Game Two last year. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think you got to wait till twenty twenty one for Mackenzie. Yeah, and as I mentioned to uh, Jamie Say on the program last week, I said, you mm. know, when I was watching the uh, the the ESPNU day that was on, uh, they ran all the UCF games, and I was holding my breath when McKenzie was running, and it was on tape. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, again, we we definitely wish him continued uh, in his recovery that he does continue to, to get well. The fact that he's Absolutely. you know doing what he's doing at this point is certainly miraculous. Well, Kyle, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Had a blast yeah, uh, talking talking quarterbacks and all that good stuff with you. If you want to uh, run down the uh, the lineup again and uh, where people can follow you on social media, we'll tell them to, to write this down so they can keep track of it all and uh, where we can file, follow Kumo Kyle. Hey, listen, or click it again and, and give Jeff another click, man. That's cool, too. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but, of course, I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You can find me on Twitter, at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG. Find me on Facebook as the student of the game. Check out my works. Like I said, I got an article out there that's still pretty fresh on the threepointconversion.com. That's the number three. Don't type out three, please. Thank you. And um, also... I think, yeah, no, no, I think I know on Monday, go to the Beyond the uh, Beyond the Buzzer Facebook page. You'll see me and my man, Danny Thompson, breaking down a lot of stuff. Listen, we'll probably be talking a lot about the NBA and the social justice situation going on there. There's going to be a lot of juicy stuff we're talking about. And then, listen, we're not going to focus just on that. There's plenty of sport. Apparently, Danny Thompson thinks that because you don't have a lot of uh, receptions past 20 yards as a member of the Saints offense, that you're a receiver who deserves to be cut in Michael Thomas. I mean, granted, the game was DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, or, or Michael Thomas, but that's a whole other question. We'll <laughs> dive into that. And, of course, our Mount Rushmore segment as well on Beyond the Buzzer, Monday at 9 p.m. And then um, a Hilarity by Default on Wednesday, like I said. And whenever Jeff brings me in, I'll definitely be excited to do more of that, man. I had a great time. Until next time, though, though Jeff, like I say to everyone I do a show with, class dismissed. Yeah, awesome, buddy. And, uh, and of course, uh, Captain and Company, too. On yes, uh, com, where we get to be colleagues. And uh, I definitely do appreciate that uh, and appreciate your friendship, too. All right, Kyle, thanks yeah, so man. much. Thanks, brother. And we will be back to wrap up with a TV theme, a sitcom from the 90s, when we come back. Five reasons why. You should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five. If you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got beef. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it.
From Family Matters, aired for eight seasons on ABC from 1989 to 97, before moving to CBS for its final season, 1997 to 1998. It was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, and the series revolves rather around the Winslow family, a middle-class African-American family living in Chicago. Midway through the first season, the show introduced the Winslow's nerdy neighbor, Steve Urkel. Did I do that? Of course, played by Jaleel White. He was originally scripted to appear as a one-time character. However, he became the show's breakout character, joining the main cast. And having run for nine seasons, Family Matters became the second-longest-running non-animated U.S. sitcom with a predominantly African-American cast behind only the Jeffersons for 11 seasons. Having aired 215 episodes, Family Matters ranked behind his third, only behind Tyler Perry's House of Pain with 254 and the Jeffersons' with 253. Other stars of the show, of course, Reginald Vell Johnson played Carl Winslow, the Chicago police officer, and he was great as Al Powell, the sergeant of LAPD in the films Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2. Joe Marie Payton played Harriet Barnes, his wife. Darius McRae played Eddie Winslow, his son. Kelly Williams daughter as daughter Laura Lee Winslow. And Jamie Foxworth, played uh, Judy Winslow, but she was written out after uh, season four with no explanation. From then on, they only referred to having two kids. Very much like the Chuck from Happy Days story, right? (laughs) Where he was in the first uh, season or so before uh, uh, he was Richie's older brother. And uh, he was in college as a basketball player and disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Rosetta Lenore also played Mother Winslow in that series. Uh, Definitely, uh, again, uh, it was very ironic that uh, uh, Jaleel White was not in the original cast, and his one appearance shot him into nerd stardom. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Thanks once again to Kyle Nash for being on the program. And as always, folks, uh, make sure you take care out there, stay safe, and stay well. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.